Chapter 8 of Beautiful Birds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Beautiful Birds by Edmund Sellis. Chapter 8 Some Very Bright Hummingbirds. One of the most beautiful of all the hummingbirds, but we can say that of so many, is the rainbow hummingbird. It is very large for a hummingbird, so what will you think when I say that its body is about the size of a little wren's, a bird which perhaps you had been thinking was the smallest bird there is? Why, a hummingbird that is as big, or almost as big, as a wren, is a very big hummingbird indeed, in fact quite a gigantic one. But now, the tail of this hummingbird is very different to a wren's and makes it look still bigger because it is so long, three to three and a half inches, I should think, and such a wonderful shape. It is forked, so you must think of a swallow first if you want to imagine it. But then, you must imagine that the two feathers which make the fork of a swallow's tail are curved outwards like two little scimitars so that their tips are six inches apart from each other. Indeed, they gleam as brightly as any scimitar does in the sun, but it is not like steel that they gleam, for they are of the most lovely, deep, rich, violet blue that you can imagine such a colour as was never seen anywhere else out of the rainbow, and now I come to think of it, what these lovely feathers are most like is two little violet rainbows set back to back. You can think how lovely they look as they go darting through the air, and I must tell you that the beautiful violet blue sends out gleams of other kinds of blues, lighter ones, which are just as beautiful as the violet itself. On the opposite page, you see the picture of a hummingbird that is a good deal like this one, but it is not the same, so the tail is not quite the same either. Now, of course you will think, and you will be quite right to think so, that a bird that has a tail like two little violet rainbows will have the other parts of him beautiful as well. Well, the back of this bird is all green, a beautiful, shining, gleaming green, and his head is green too. At least, it seems to be when you see it first. But, as you look at it, all at once the green changes into a heavenly violet blue to match the heavenly violet blue of its lovely rainbow tail. Under the throat it is green like the rest, but just in the centre of it there is a tiny little drop just one or two little feathers of the very loveliest amethyst. Ah, fancy seeing a bird like that flying about and hovering over the flowers. Only you would not see him, for you would not be able to see his wings, at least not properly, they would move so fast. What you would see would be a little circle of hazy brown mist and, right in the middle of it, a little sparkling sun, and on the other side, gleaming through the mist, two sweet little violet rainbows. Then, all at once, 
there would be a trail of light in the air, and it would all be somewhere else, another sun and rainbows over another flower. Of course, really, a hummingbird would have flown from one flower to another, but what it would look like would be a gleam of light, a sunbeam, with a jewel flash at each end of it. Another hummingbird, the Sappho Comet, is about the same size as the last one, and he is a lovely gleaming green too, an emerald green, I think, on his head and neck and shoulders, but his throat is light blue, the colour of a most beautiful turquoise. But such a turquoise! There is no other one in the world that ever gleamed and flashed and sparkled in that way, because, you know, turquoises do not sparkle at all, at least nowhere else. It is not their habit. But I think that some of the very finest of them, at least the lovely colours that were in them, must have flown into that hummingbird's throat and begun to gleam and flash and sparkle there. Perhaps they begged to be allowed to as a very special favour. Then the tail of this hummingbird is forked too, like the other ones, but not in quite the same way. It is more like the fork of an arrow than two little rainbows turned back to back. And instead of being violet, it is all ruby and copper and topaz, with a broad band of velvet black at each tip. I cannot tell you how brilliant those colours are, the ruby and the copper and the topaz. They are so brilliant that, if you were to take them into a dark room, I really almost think they would light it up like a lamp or a candle. Oh, it is a wonderful tale. You might think and think for quite a long time, and yet you would never be able to think how bright, how wonderfully bright it is. But listen to what the Indians say. They say that once that hummingbird was out in a thunderstorm, and the lightning got angry with him because he flew so fast and tried to strike him. It was jealous of him, that was the reason, for the lightning likes to think itself faster than anything else. But although the lightning chased that hummingbird, for a very long time, it could only just touch his tail, and there it has stayed, a little flash of it, which was not enough to hurt, ever since. You know how bright the lightning is. That will help you to think what that hummingbird's tail is like. And you know now what his throat is like. Fancy seeing them both together, flashing, sparkling, gleaming, beaming, dancing dancing in the glorious glowing sunshine of South America. But now, in the splendid breasted hummingbird, all the glory is upon his breast, his throat. Once, I think, at least the Indians say so, he must have flown up very high, yes, right up to heaven, and the door was open, and he tried to fly in. But he could not. They turned him away but the glory of heaven had just fallen upon his breast and he flew back with it there to earth. It is green, that glory, the most marvellous light gleaming green, but all at once, as you look at it, 
it has changed to blue, an exquisite light turquoise blue. And then, just as you are going to cry out, Oh, but it's blue, not green. It is green again, and then blue again, before you can say that it is green. And then, all at once, it is both at the same time, for each has changed into the other. It is the throat gorget, you know I explained to you, on which this glorious colour falls. But this bird has such a large one that it covers the breast as well as the throat and goes up quite high on each side till it meets the deep, rich, velvety black of the head. Of course, this deep, velvet black makes the wonderful green and blue look all the more wonderful, for it is a dark background for them to shine out against, and your mother will explain to you what a background is. Then, on the back, this hummingbird is green too. In fact, you might call him the emerald hummingbird, but it is darker than that other green, if anything so bright can be darker, and without the lovely turquoise blue in it. It is a glory, but not such a glory as the one on his breast, not the glory of heaven that fell upon him at its gates. Perhaps it is his memory of it as he flew away. But now I feel sure you will ask why the same brightness which streamed out of heaven and spoilt the plumage of the birds of paradise should have made the plumage of this hummingbird so beautiful. Well, it is a difficult question, but perhaps it is because the hummingbird was thinking of heaven and wishing to get into it, whilst the birds of paradise had got tired of being in heaven and were only thinking of earth. That might have made a very great difference. And perhaps, you will say, if the hummingbirds are sunbeams that have been changed into birds, why should some of them have been made more beautiful afterwards in other ways? Well, as to that, there are a great many different kinds of hummingbirds, more than 400, as I told you, so perhaps they were not quite all of them sunbeams first. And besides, even when a bird has been a sunbeam first, something else might happen to it when it had become a bird. At any rate, if one explanation does not seem satisfactory, there is always the other, and one of them must be the right one, until you are a clever person, which will not be yet a while. So now we will go on, for there are some other hummingbirds with other explanations waiting. The Glow Glow Hummingbird, I do like that name, is smaller than any of the other three we have talked about, for it is less than half the size of a little wren. Its head and its back are shining green. You will be thinking all the hummingbirds are green, but wait a little. Its breast is white, but its throat, oh, its throat, what is it? What can it be called? It is a rose that has burst into flame. No, it is a flame trying to look like a rose. No, it is neither of these. It is one of those stars that are of all colours and change from one to the other as you look at them, from green to gold, from gold to topaz, 
from topaz to rosy red. Only this star changed into every colour at once, which was wonderful, and as he did that, and this was still more wonderful, he flew all to pieces, and little bits of him were scattered through the whole air, and when the sun rose and shone upon them, they were all hummingbirds, flying about with wings and feathers, and with long Latin names, so that there should be no doubt about it. It was wonderful, wonderful, but yet it was not quite so wonderful as the colours upon this hummingbird's throat. The little flame-bearer, there is a name for you, is a still smaller hummingbird than the last one. Indeed, his body without the feathers would not be very much larger than a very large humble bee. Here, again, all the wonder is on its throat, which is topaz and green and copper, all glowing and sparkling together, as if they were all married to one another, and each of them was trying to get the upper hand. Ah, was there ever such a sweet little gem bird? He is a jewel mounted on wings and set in the air. Only sometimes, when he hovers just underneath a flower, he seems hanging from its tip like a pendant. Costa's coquette. That means that someone named Costa, some Portuguese gentleman, was the first to write about it, is larger than the little flame-bearer, though not half so big as a wren, and he tries to be brighter. Whether he is brighter, I am sure I cannot say. To tell properly, one ought to see them both hovering under the same flower, or at least very close together, and even then one would only feel bewildered. But this one's head and throat are all one splendour, one marvellous gleam of rosy, pinky, rosy pink, pinky rose, magenta. Only if you say that that is what it is, it will change into violet and contradict you, and then, if you say it is violet, it will change into topaz and contradict you again. So you had better say nothing, for one does not want to be contradicted, but just hold your breath and watch it. It will change quite soon enough, even then, long before you are tired of its rosy, pinky, rosy pink, pinky rose magenta, which is a colour you have not seen, and which I have not told you about before. Only if you must say something about it whilst you are looking at it, something besides, oh, I mean, say it is a hummingbird, that will be quite sufficient, and not one of its colours can be offended with you then for not mentioning them and mentioning the others. Now I must tell you that the feathers of this little bird's throat, of that wonderful, gleaming throat gorgette, grow out on each side into two little peaks, two little pointed tongues of rose-pink magenta flame. But hush! And he can spread them out and shoot them forward, as well as the whole of the gorgette, in quite a wonderful way. When he does that, what he seems to do is to strike a great number of matches at the same time, and from each one, as he strikes it, there bursts out hundreds and hundreds 
of bright sparkling jewels of flame. Ah, you should see him strike his jewel matches, all together, all the jewels that there are, all struck in one second as he whizzes about in the air. His back is all green and so bright, if only you cover up his head and throat. If you don't cover them, or as soon as you uncover them again, you hardly seem to see it. It is no brighter then than a glowworm is when a very bright star is shooting through the air. Now we come to the splendid coquette, a little bird not half the size of a golden crested wren, which is the smallest bird that we in this country know anything about, smaller even than the common wren. He has a crest too, this little hummingbird, a very fine one of chestnut feathers, not sticking up on the top of the head, as so many crests do, but going backwards after the head has come to an end, so that it makes a little chestnut feather awning for the neck to be under. But just where they spring from the head, each of these chestnut feathers is black, and at their tips too they have all a little black spot, and this makes them look still prettier than if they were all chestnut. When the little bird spreads out this fine crest of his, like a fan, for he can do that, all the feathers in it stand out separately from each other, and then he looks like a little sun in the centre of his own rays. Yes, the sun, because he is so very bright. He has a gorget, or perhaps you would prefer to call it a lappet, of feathers on his throat and breast of the most glorious radiant green colour, and from it there shoot out, one on either side, a pair of the very loveliest and most delicate little fairy wings that ever you never saw, for I feel sure that you never have seen anything at all like them. I do not mean, of course, that they are real wings to fly with. No, it would be funny if a bird had two pairs of that kind. But ornamental ones, wings for the little hen hummingbird, who has none, to look at and say, how beautiful, how extraordinarily becoming. Each of these dear little wings is made by a few delicate, long, slender feathers of a light chestnut colour, the same as the feathers of the crest, only, instead of being tipped with black, these ones are tipped with a spot of the same lovely green that there is on the throat and breast. The longest of them, which is in the middle, is nearly an inch long, which is very long indeed when you think how small the little birdie is, and it stands out a quarter of an inch beyond the two next longest ones on each side of it, and these are almost a quarter of an inch longer than the ones that come next. If you hold out your hand with the fingers spread out, and imagine the middle one a good deal longer, and the little finger and thumb much shorter, then you will know the shape of these dear little fairy wings. Only, of course, feathers are much more elegant than fingers, even than pretty little fingers. Think how pretty something in muslin or puff lace, like that, on a dress would be. But it is ever, oh, ever so much prettier on a little hummingbird, in little chestnut feathers, with little green spangles at their tips. And that is why I call them fairy wings, for I think 
if any pair of wings that are not a fairy's could be pretty enough for a fairy, these would be the ones. And I think if you saw this sweet little hummingbird hanging in the air, with his breast all flashing and sparkling, and with his chestnut crest spread out above it, and his little chestnut and star-spangled wings flying out on each side of it, you would think him almost as pretty as a fairy could be. You would think his fairy wings the real ones that he was flying with, because you would see them, whilst the other ones would be moving so quickly that they would be only like a mist or haze, a little night that he had made for himself for the star of his beauty to shine in. Now just try to imagine how lovely that little hummingbird must be. Can you understand anyone wanting to kill him? But now that I have told you about that wretched little demon with his charms to send people to sleep, and those two bad bottles of his, or rather the powders inside them, apathy and vanity, I dare say you can understand it. If I had not told you about him, I don't think you would have been able to. Princess Helen's coquette, how proud he ought to be of a name like that, is a little hummingbird something like the last one. He is a little smaller, I think, but whether he is a little prettier too, or not quite so pretty, or only as pretty, all that I shall leave to you. It is you who will have to decide. His back is all of a golden green, and his head, which has a forked crest at the back of it like a swallow's tail, is a beautiful, rich, dark, velvety green. So that would make a pretty little bird, would it not? Even without anything else. But he has something else. Two or three other things, in fact, which are so, oh, so very pretty. First, on each side of the back of the head, just under each fork of the little swallow-tailed crest, there is a little delicate tuft of feathers, which rise up and spread out upon each side in such a graceful little curve. But these feathers are not like other feathers. They are something like the funny feathers that the birds of paradise have, for they are quite thin, like threads, and an inch long which although it is not quite so long as those, is yet a good length when you think of what a little thing this hummingbird is. These pretty little feathers are of a deep velvety green colour, the same colour as his swallow-tailed crest, and there are three on each side, three little velvet green feather threads floating out on each side behind his head. On his throat there is a gorget of gleaming jewelly green, much lighter than the other greens, more like emerald, but with a goldeny bronzy wash in it as well. Just think how beautiful that must be. And then, lower down on his throat, underneath the green gorget, as if all that were not enough for him, this hummingbird has something else. We will call it a tippet, which flies out all round his neck, and especially on each side of it. A tippet, or a ruffle, perhaps that is rather a better word, a ruffle of velvet black feathers in front, and of light chestnut feathers 
with velvet black stripes like a tiger on each side. As for his tail, it spreads out into a dear little fan, and the fan is chestnut and black too, broad stripes of chestnut and narrow stripes of black, with a broad patch of black where it begins, which looks like the handle of the fan. What a pretty, pretty bird! Fancy a little birdie that is only about two inches long and has a crest like a swallowtail on his head, a gorget or lappet on his throat, a tippet or ruffle just underneath the gorget, and a little spray of feather threads on each side of his head, just underneath the crest. Fancy killing such a little fairy bird as that! Fancy wanting to kill him! But it is all the little demon. It is he who has blown about his nasty powders and frozen the hearts of the poor women who are really so kind. At any rate, they would be if only he would let them. Did I say such a little fairy bird? I think I did, and I was quite right, for it is just this very little hummingbird that the fairies are so fond of riding on. They go two at a time sometimes. One sits on his back, and another lies on the broad fan of his tail, and the one on the back uses the little feather threads as reins. It is so grand! The hummingbird dashes up at the fairy's own flower door and hovers there till she is ready to come out and then dashes away with her to another flower where another fairy lives. And that is how the fairies call upon each other in countries where there are hummingbirds. Perhaps you will think that a hummingbird, even quite a little hummingbird, and they are none of them big, is rather a large Gigi for a fairy to ride on. But you must remember that in tropical countries, fairies grow to quite a remarkable size. Well, that is eight hummingbirds that I have tried to describe to you, though it is very like trying to describe a sunset to someone who has never seen one. And perhaps you think I have chosen all the most beautiful ones first, and that there are no more left which are quite so pretty. But I think I can find just one more that is not such a very plain bird, not a bird you would call ugly if you were to see it hovering about over a bed of geraniums or under a cluster of honeysuckle, some bright spring or summer morning when you happened to go out into your garden. So we will take that one, and if he is not pretty enough, you must just try to put up with him. He is called the Sun Beauty. Perhaps you would think him dark at first, for his head and back and shoulders are of such a rich, deep, velvety green that it almost goes into black velvet, all except one little spot on the forehead, just above the beak, and that never can look quite black. Sometimes it does almost, just for one second but the next second it flashes into green again, and oh, how it gleams and sparkles and throws out little jewels, little splashes of sunfire all round it. What a wonderful green it is at first, and then, oh, what a wonderful... But really, there is no proper name for that colour. I was going to say blue, 
and perhaps it is more like blue than anything else but nothing else is quite like it then just at the beginning of this hummingbird's throat just under the chin there are a few feathers that are like a kind of dusky smoked magenta bronze jewellery and a little farther down they gleam into ruddy bronze and coppery topaz and then oh what is that the very sun himself has flashed out from his throat from his gorget yes a little flake of the sun a sunflake instead of a snowflake oh it is such a gorget a gorget of golden topaz of coppery gold of green gold of silver gold of silver of gleaming white of all these together and it spreads out on each side like a wonderful fan and shoots out in front of all the other feathers such a gorget the feathers in it are not feathers at all i do not think they can be feathers they are sunflakes as i have told you that is what this hummingbird is like on the throat underneath the throat on the breast he becomes green again not the dark velvet green of the back but a still more glorious green gleaming and brilliant but soft and rich at the same time it is a green that changes too changes almost into blue i will tell you how that is once this green this wonderful lovely green did not think itself lovely enough which was funny so it said to the blue of the violet and the turquoise and the amethyst and the sapphire come and make part of me but i must be the greater part that is not fair cried the blues of all those lovely things we will come since you have invited us but we intend to have the upper hand come then said the green and let us fight for the mastery whichever wins the other will be improved by it we will struggle together and we will see which is the strongest so they came those blues of wonder from the violet the turquoise the sapphire and the amethyst yes and from the sky the stars and the sea as well and they fell in a glory on that glorious green that had been there before them and fought with it to possess the breast of that hummingbird and they are fighting to possess it now they gleam and flash and sparkle and glow and try to outglory each other but i think that that wonderful green is the strongest although he has such a lot of blues to fight against but stronger than any and then all of them is the sun on that hummingbird's gorget that gorget of gold and topaz and copper and bronze and silver and gleaming white that is what that hummingbird is like and that is how he got some of his wonderful colors so at least the indians say only some of them say that it was the blues who were there first and asked the green to come but always in history you will find that there are different opinions about the same thing people are not all agreed even about the battle of waterloo so you see 
we have been able to find one other handsome hummingbird at any rate. And then there is the hermit hummingbird. I must just describe him. His head and neck are brown. The whole of his back is brown. His wings, his throat and his breast are brown. And all the rest of him is brown. Why then, he is all brown, without any colours at all, unless there are some lying asleep and ready to wake up and dart out all of a sudden in the way I have explained to you. No, there are no colours, either asleep or awake, or, at any rate, hardly any. Compared to the hummingbirds I have been telling you about, this one is just a plain, dull bird, as plain and as dull, almost, as his wife, for that, you know, is what the wives of hummingbirds are like. Then, is he a hummingbird at all? Surely he is not one. He must be some other bird. Oh, no, he is not. He is a hummingbird, but he is a hermit hummingbird. I have not told you before, but now I will tell you that there are some hummingbirds, in fact a good many, that have no bright colours at all, and they are called hermits. A hermit, you know, is a person who lives in a cell or cave and wears a long brown gown with a hood at one end of it for his head and never dresses gaily or goes out to see things but has what we should consider a very dull life. Only as he likes it, that makes it all right for him. So these dull-coloured hummingbirds are called hermits, not because they live in cells, because of course they do not, but because they have no bright things to wear, but only brown gowns like hermits. But now, as hummingbirds used once to be sunbeams, and are still living sunbeams that have been changed into birds, how does it happen that any of them have become hermits with nothing showy about them? That is a thing which requires an explanation, so it is lucky that there is one already for it in the next chapter. Not all the things that require an explanation are so lucky as that. Some of them go on requiring one all their lives and yet never get what they require. I have known several of that sort. End of chapter 8